two creative heads in foreign lands working at the intersection of creativity, leadership, and culture. Dan Wilden, David James Kennedy, Milan, Oslo, Rogue Minds. Welcome back to another Rogue Minds episode. David James Kennedy here in Oslo, Daniel Wilden in Milan. Are you doing good, Dan? I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited because we have potentially the most intelligent guests that we're ever going to have, including yourself, Dave. I'm afraid uh, she far eclipses your intellect. Of course. But we have the amazing Dr. Anna Loback with us. Why don't you tell people about Anna? Give, it, give us the elevator pitch. It's a long pitch. I hope the elevator lift is a long one uh, because she's a business psychologist, senior executive coach. She is coaching leadership teams all over the world, been doing it for 15 years in tech, finance, luxury, media, pharmaceutical and retail, strength-based leadership development, specialist in positive psychology. She has all these fancy numbers and letters after her name, which she has to say. So all that to say... She's super smart. Welcome, Anna. How are you? I'm good. So happy to be with you guys. We're very happy to have you. I'm glad to have you on as well, Anna, for uh, for the additional reason that uh, DK hasn't mentioned. You're also highly creative and a performer, and I've seen you perform on some of the literally biggest arenas in the world. So it's great to have uh, an intelligent rogue with us who also likes to get up there and rock out a bit too. I won't, we won't put any links to any of your performances. People can just wonder, what does she do? Or, or maybe you're on YouTube. We'll find out. So, Dave, we, we've this is our second part of a two-part podcast, which wasn't meant to be a two-part podcast. Tell us why that is. Yeah, well, we decided that we were going to do a episode on leadership and feedback, something that a lot of people that we know and a lot of people that we've spoken to um, – struggle with or had questions about. And we did this first episode and and we basically stole all of Anna's teachings that we got from her over the years. And then a light bulb went on halfway through the first part saying, well, why don't we just have her on the show? And here we are now with Anna. Um, And maybe you can explain for those people who don't know, we gave you a very quick introduction. Maybe you want to tell us exactly what you do and and how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am a psychologist uh, and I I practice in the workplace. Um, So organizational psychology is very much about um, using psychological frameworks, tools, um, research and science to help organizations um, function better, especially from the people side of things. So really I work alongside uh, leaders and leadership teams from some of the largest organizations in the world, which is awesome. Um, And we get to come alongside them and um, design strategy, leadership development programs, but also support them with other things like uh, managing change more effectively um, and various other programs. Um, In the last few years, I've also been um, very involved in uh, designing and developing um, psychoeducational programs. So really mental health and well-being and organizational health uh, initiatives and programs for various um, clients. I run a company called Turning Point Leadership. Um, It's a leadership development um, and coaching consultancy. We're a global organization. In addition to working with leaders, I, I need to. I, I am a leader myself in terms of of managing my own team. We have a team of 
almost 200 coaches now and leadership consultants and project management staff and so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of um uh, of of pra- trying to practice what I preach as well, basically. I think we had a conversation earlier and I was saying one of the reasons I'm really interested in getting your perspective on some of the topics we'll talk about today, um, mental health and organizational health, it, it seems to suffer a lot, especially in the creative industries, especially when you have those people down the emotional end of the spectrum. So as well as our, our content today talking about feedback and some do's and don'ts and some whys, and, and we'll definitely dive into some brain chemistry having you on the on the line, Anna, for sure. But um, I think it's going to be helpful to look at some of the, uh, the issues that pop up all the time when we especially are speaking to creativity, leadership, and cultural leadership as well. So this is going to be great. So Dave, why don't you uh, why don't you start the conversation? Where what are we going to dive into first? If we were to continue on from from our last episode, for sure, we're going to take a very deep dive. And um, in the first episode, we talked about the importance of feedback from leadership perspective, what it can do to teams, relationships, culture, good and bad, why people struggle giving and receiving. We talked about things such as opinion versus facts and and ego getting involved. But from perhaps your experience, Anna, and also the um, psychological perspective and the mental perspective, why is feedback so hard to give and take? The, the main reason is probably because um, our brain is so deeply wired for social connection. And that means that it really it amplifies everything that is related to other human beings. Um, there are almost key drivers, some of our key fundamental drivers when it comes to our brain, how our brain is structured and wired um, and and some of the key drivers of behavior are actually um, linked to social connection. Um, and in fact, we have some some key drivers of social behavior that um, that have an impact on how we receive feedback and how we give feedback. And and that's probably why you know even the word feedback when someone says to you, oh, "I have a piece of feedback to give you," that's it. All the alarm bells start ringing in your brain. Um, and actually. Unless, and this is probably what we'll go into, uh, I hope, in this conversation, but unless you're able to create the right conditions for feedback to, mm-hmm. to happen, because feedback is essential in organizational life. In fact, feedback is important. It's, 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 it's an important regulation mechanism in, um, in any social context. But unless you're able to create the right conditions and the right environment for feedback to take place, your brain could actually respond to it as what we call a social threat. And what's interesting about that is that your your kind of the way your brain responds to social threats and to social rewards is exactly with the same intensity as physical threats or physical rewards. So there's a bunch of stuff around um, around how our brains are wired that I think people would really benefit from understanding uh, when it comes to create creating the right conditions um, for feedback to take place. When um, I just want to jump in here for a second. So I think um, so interesting when you talk about how we're, we're wired and how we respond. I think we 
perhaps uh, to, to turn this into a question, do you think that uh, in a workplace, let's say, or, or an organization or a charity or a not-for-profit or a religious organization, um, we're often forced into, well, forced, we, we choose to join a community that's very different from maybe how we were brought up, um, especially with different cultures. Do you see real cult, real nuances when it comes to different cultures having to work together do, do some experience more threat when it comes to feedback or or is or is it we pretty standard when it comes to how humans are, are wired no i mean I, I would say well there are cultural nuances that that actually have a huge impact on the exercise of feedback, both giving and receiving feedback. Because again, there are cultural differences when it comes to how people communicate. Um, so that will have an impact on how the feedback um, takes place. Um, that exchange will be impacted by your by a number of things, not only your cultural filters, but other filters um, that will have an impact on your worldview and therefore on how you see other people, how you even see yourself. So that will obviously have an impact on um, how people give and receive feedback. Um, there's, there's a bunch of research on this, by the way. Aaron Meyer has um, a, a very a popular book and model, um, The Culture Map, where she expands on a few different categories or key cultural differences that um, have the most impact, uh, especially in organizational life. And feedback is one of them um, because people will communicate in different ways. In certain cultures, um, context is very important. So certain, in, in certain cultures, particularly in certain European cultures, there's an assumption when you communicate with people, there's there's almost a, a driving assumption that we share the same context. Um, and, and therefore, the message doesn't need to be as clear and explicit because there's an assumption of shared context and a shared knowledge base. Uh, but if you then, um, if you then have, so, so that means that if you, and especially for example, in, a, in the French culture. Um, mm. So if you have a French line manager um, giving feedback to an employee who happens to be from North America, which is uh, a, a culture mm. where everything needs to be communicated with a, a lot of clarity and a lot of, it's a, what we call a low context culture um, when it comes to communication, which is why typically um, in America, you know, typically people would, uh, when they want to communicate a message, they tell you what they're about to tell you, then they tell you what they want to tell you, and then at the end they tell you what they told you. So it's kind of <laughs> like clarity is key. Um, so if you have a French line manager giving feedback to, um, um, to someone who happens to be from that very low context culture, um, you can very easily get some serious misunderstandings where you think uh -huh. you've given a message, but then the other guy on the other side is like, is it, it didn't get it um, because there isn't a shared knowledge base around context. So these things, to answer your question, Dan, Dan the, the, those things are really, really key. That's really good. What a great answer. I, I want to jump in as well, Anna, and I think for me and Dan now, the questions are starting to roll in our mind, but you talked earlier, and I love we can get on to culture and, 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 and the cultural effect of these things in a minute, but I just want to go back and you talked about the right conditions. And I just want to I just want to pick your uh, wonderful brain, and maybe you can give just a few examples of what are the right conditions for a leader to give feedback, 
uh, to to perhaps set up, and what are the right conditions for a team member to to be in to take the feedback? So looking looking at things from both sides here, from a leadership perspective and from Perhaps you're my leader and I'm a, I'm a team member. What conditions do I need and what conditions do you need? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, okay, from, from the leader's perspective, um, if you're going to give feedback to someone, you need to understand that there are a couple of things that we have to bear in mind. First of all, the intent. Um, clarifying the intent of the feedback is absolutely essential. Um, and when you do that with clarity, in other words, what, why are you giving the feedback? Is it just to, to let something, you know, is it you, something happened that you didn't like and you need to get that off your chest? That's, that's probably not a, um, the, the most productive or, um, positive intent that you can have. So I think, I think first of all, we need to take into consideration, uh, when we're in, you know, in leadership, we need to understand, first of all, what, what's the intent behind the feedback? Um, mm. Because you can give feedback for uh, various reasons. You can give feedback because you need to regulate an aspect of performance, um, or you can give feedback because you want, uh, because it's, it's, it's about development, not necessarily about performance, but more about um, supporting the development of that, of that particular employee in a particular area. So really clarifying the intent is absolutely key. Um, in addition to that, I think the, the key factor is really trust. Um, the, the more trust there is already um, in the sort of that particular relationship or engagement or context, um, the more effective the feedback exercise will be. If, if there is trust, there is psychological safety. Um, but sometimes that doesn't exist because sometimes the, the context isn't necessarily relational. So therefore, how do you actually do this if there isn't that kind of um, trust factor or if it isn't a relational um, context? So that's where I think it's important to understand a little bit of the science and the, the especially the neuroscience and what's right. happening in your brain when you're having these feedback conversations, because that links to the conditions to answer your question, Dave. So um, how do you unlock psychological safety, even beyond a kind of a relational context? We need to understand that that kind of uh, threat and reward system that we all have beyond across different cultures. This is now, now we're talking about how we are um, wired as human beings. So there is an, an avoid um, and, and approach system in our brain, the threat and reward system. And humans are deeply driven by um, by social connection, like I said, but we also have a negativity bias, which has been very useful for us in evolutionary terms, if you like. Um, uh, the negativity bias means that we are naturally more attuned to danger and, in fact, to negative uh, stimuli than positive stimuli. And that's, you know, for, for survival reasons, obviously. But that also means that um, we we get very triggered, literally, by uh, by things that we interpret as threats or danger. Um, feedback can be one of them, especially if there isn't enough trust. Especially if you don't necessarily have a relationship with uh, an established uh, relationship with that individual, which is often the case in the workplace. You don't necessarily have a, you know, the, it's not always relational in the workplace with with teams and stuff. So this is where it's important to understand this. Uh, it's important to understand that when you say something like, "Oh, I've got some feedback for you," 
or especially when you when you when you haven't necessarily been intentional about explaining the intent of the feedback and you haven't been intentional about crafting your message in a way mm. that is productive etc cetera, etc cetera, then you you might be signaling all the threat signals in that person's brain. And what happens when we perceive a threat, we retreat, we want to avoid because your amygdala, your emotional system is being triggered and that's about survival. So it, it's almost, it, it's not a rational thing, by the way, this is about your emotional brain, not your rational brain. Um, so if mm. you understand this, um, you can then think about how you communicate with people because how you communicate the feedback message, uh, how you create that psychological safety is through activating not the threat systems, but the reward systems because the, amyg the amygdala, the kind of alarm system in your brain is also triggered by positive emotions and positive things. So there's some interesting... Um, there's some interesting research by Dr. David Rock uh, on on this actually how to create psychological safety, and he he puts forward this model that is called the SCARF model, um, and and it's it's um, it's a, a really uh, a really interesting model that unpacks everything that I've just said in a super simple way. SCARF SCARF stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And it simply means that we these are these are like the 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 five key social drivers of the brain across different cultures across different um, uh, backgrounds. Everyone mm. will be naturally uh, wired towards these five things. So we all want to have a sense of status, a sense that we're valuable. We're valuable members of this team. So how you communicate, especially when it comes to feedback, needs to be crafted towards activating the reward signal when it comes to status rather than the threat signal when it comes to status. Certainty is that feeling that you know where you stand. Autonomy is the feeling that you have a choice. Relatedness is that feeling that you you belong to this team. And fairness is that feeling that, you know, you're respected, you're being treated, um, you know, fairly Very good. Um, in, in this whole conversation. So understanding these five drivers and knowing how to craft your message in a way that will activate the reward signals rather than the threat ones, uh, is absolutely key in unlocking psychological safety to have a, a you know, to, to even start the feedback conversation. I think um, those those five drivers are great. And I, I guess, would it be right to assume that if any of those things are being trodden on, we're going to see the, those, that triggering occurring. Um, but and my, next, my, my question after that then would be, what are some of the telltale signs of someone being triggered in, in a, a feedback loop? We're, we're, we're thinking uh, specifically about, let's say, creative people. You've, they've got a brief, they've received a brief, or they're, they're doing some work, or you're on a project together, you're working together to a goal. Let's just assume that everyone knows what they're working towards. But um, just besides some bleedingly obvious things like people having a tantrum or something, what would be some telltale signs of, of someone being triggered and maybe some of the ones that might not be noticeable straight away? I mean, I, th I think um, 
That's an interesting question because actually it's quite difficult to give a blanket answer because people will demonstrate those signs in in really different ways. But I think the right answer there um, is is for you know it goes back to your responsibility as a leader and as a colleague, by the way, because feedback is not just an exercise that happens um, that happens in in that way. You know, the, it's not always the leader giving feedback to a member of their teams. It could be peer to peer feedback, or it could be the other way around. By the way, uh, someone you know, you might have a piece of feedback or a feedback conversation you'd like to have with your boss. So um, these things are important to to take into account as well. But I, I think the key thing is is for us to be very attuned to what um, what what is usually important for people around us because they will, you know, I mentioned those five drivers, but depending on your personality or depending on your style, depending on your background, depending on your culture, uh, depending on a, a whole host of things, one or two of these drivers might be more important to you than than the others. You need to understand and connect with the other human being that you're that you're talking to whatever the context is whether and this is not just a leadership responsibility it's everyone's responsibility if you if you want to give someone feedback then before you give that person feedback you better make sure that you know them you know what makes them tick you know you kind of you've you've mm. observed them for long enough to understand if they're triggered or not or to even you know to get ahead of that even i would say for example for some people you just know that you know status is probably their key driver you know they really you can you can sense in their behavior how important it is for them to feel valued by their team member or by their boss or whatever as valuable contributors um and if if you know that status is their key driver then you need to you know you need to make sure that you craft your message in a way that will um, that that you know that will give them certainty on that yeah and for others it could be something else for others it could be fairness for so therefore if you're going to craft a feedback message um to someone whose main scarf driver is actually fairness then you need to make sure you better make sure that you're super transparent because for for people whose driver whose core driver is fairness they need transparency they need to feel respected they need to feel that you know that everyone else is getting the same treatment as I am if you're treating me differently this is a this is a problem so it's it's understanding um and making sure that you're observing people around you um because you can't just the thing is you can't just expect that you're going to have some feedback to to give and and and, and it's going to yeah, and it's going to be fantastically well received if you haven't been intentional and if you haven't put some thought mm. into this and if you haven't um, put some intention behind really connecting with that human because humans are very, very complex. And the main problem is when leaders or people in general think that they can just treat everyone the same way. Anna, I'd love to, I'd love to take what you said take what you've said now and kind of shift it over to the other elements of, of what we talk about on this this podcast. We're talking very heavily now about leadership, which is great, and everything you've said and kind of linking it now to creative output or creativity and culture. It's funny how you've talked about a lot of people think they can treat each other the same. You hear a lot of people talk as leaders and they, they, they've not even tried and they've built this fantastic culture where everyone feels valued, everyone feels connected. There's a great sense of what are we trying to do? The why is high, vision, blah, 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 goals. And then you speak to other people and they're trying as hard as they can, but they can't seem to <laughs> they can't seem to crack the nut or, or, or figure it out. And you talked about how 
there's no getting around trust and relationship. But from your from your experience, you, you talked about how humans, a lot of us across cultures, we're, we're very similar in terms of our makeup. What are some of the things that you see around the world at all different levels of, of, of huge companies and, and all sorts of different brands? And even I know recently you've been involved in, with government. Um, are there some specific things that you see all the time when it comes to the effect of leadership on creativity and we're not talking about creativity here like oh someone painted a fancy painting but creative thinking strategic thinking uh and also just just the overall cultural environment that's a great question um i think there are a couple of things first of all um when it especially when it comes to creative uh creativity and leading um creative teams, but not just even beyond that, even beyond leading creative teams. I think one one thing that I'm seeing is that um companies all over the world and especially the, you know, especially the 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 top players are really um coming to the realization that creativity is is the engine for innovation. So back in uh, 2016, when the World Economic Forum put forward um, their report on the future of work, they at the time projected that creativity would be among the top three most essential job skills in the world. And in fact, that's where all that we had a flurry of, you know, blog posts and leadership consultants, um, you know, putting stuff out there about, you know, the future of work is human um, because there was a, and, and it, it all came from that, that 2016 um, report. Um, but, 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 you know, but, but the, the truth is that there's a, there's a new understanding of creativity, what it is, the, even a lot more research on the neuroscience of creativity that is finally uh, getting into the workplace and big organizations, big and small, in fact, are realizing that creativity is a skill that is inherently human. Um, and in fact, it's a competency that needs to be developed by everyone. It's not a, a talent. It's not a gift. There's a lot of, we've um, wow. we've been uh, boxing creativity into the corner of, you know, um, artistic people or, you know, we're, we're creative because we're musicians or because we, we write or we have this different brain. Actually, every human brain is hardwired for creativity and, and seeing creativity as a muscle that you develop rather than just a special thing that is can only be outworked in a certain way is something that I'm seeing a lot to answer your question, um, Dave. And, and, and that's about really making creativity understandable and accessible and and really creating responsibility in organizations for how they structure their you know their structures how they how they you know really how they nurture creativity is something that everyone needs to needs to have and needs to develop uh, there's a great definition of creativity actually from um from a writer who's published a, a great book on this topic recently. I think her name is ooh, Nat Natalie Dixon, I think. I hope I'm not wrong. The book is Figure Eight Thinking, but she has this, there's this great quote on creativity as uh, the capacity and ability to topple between wonder and rigor to solve a problem. And that's what mm. creativity is. So when it comes to, you know, when it comes to leadership structures and how organizations facilitate creativity because that's really what drives innovation and when it comes to how people individuals themselves um, develop 
creative thinking, I think this this is the future. It's it's about understanding how you do this, how you, you know, what are the the core foundations of creative thinking? Their curiosity, right? It's inquiry or curiosity. Um, even when it comes to how we do things, how we, uh, you know, what am I doing wrong here? How can I, I need to figure this out. So it's really <laughs> inquiry and curiosity. It's improvisation. So being adaptive, being in the moment, being okay with not being an expert in in something. This is, as musicians, we know what this is about because you, you know, when you're learning, you're never, never an expert, but you need to, you need to get through that um, comfort zone of, playing this song really well, actually, I need to stretch myself. I need to do this differently. Otherwise I'll never grow. So improvising and then that kind of almost intuitive thinking, um, which again is is a key um, condition for developing creativity. Um, and this is all about constraints as well, isn't it? Because that's the other thing for, you know, you need constraints in order to to trigger creativity. So what you're telling me, Anna, is that people like me and Dan are going to be filthy rich in the future and finally people will realise they need us. That's it. That's it. You heard it. You heard it first from Anna Loback. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, I'll take this I'll take this opportunity to to jump into the next section so we can get rich quicker. Um, <laughs> we we do in our working lives have to we take briefs from clients, we help um, organizations or people out there start organizations. Whatever you do, you and if if what Anna is saying here is true, which I, I thoroughly believe is that the future is still very much human. We might power some of uh, some of our creativity with technology and whatnot and it will continue to march forward but um, in the advertising world which I find myself in so much of the success lands lives or dies with the creative idea or creative execution that's what people resonate with humans resonate with storytelling and well executed creativity so that doesn't just happen we actually have to create that or put it together something which seems really simple usually takes a lot of work and refining Although sometimes you just land land on gold really quickly and easily, and but other times and usually the creative process takes a lot of work and collaboration. So I think jumping into our next topic, if we want to work better together or get a better final product or healthier organization, we're going to have to give feedback. We're going to have to sharpen our teams. We're going to have to sharpen ideas. But just to throw this over to you, Anna, what are some things we can do or people can get better at in order to to give that feedback? So what's what are some ideal approaches to um, maybe you can go into your, your desk um, formula, which I think we talked about last time. So before the actual formula, uh, because there are, you know, there are different ones. I like this particular model because of its simplicity. Um, and yeah, and that's the main reason really, because it's simple and it works. Um, but before going into unpacking that model, I think just remembering uh, that there are some common mistakes that we all tend to make when it comes to feedback. So the first thing I would say is, be aware of, you know, don't avoid giving feedback just because it's uncomfortable. Um, focus on, don't don't focus on the person rather than the actual performance or behavior. That's a really big one. And, you know, it still, it still happens. It happens all the time. I mean, even, you know, even, even very recently, I, I, I was witness 
to, you know, I'm going to go a bit rogue now because this is... Yes, it was, good, it was all good. going so well. Oh dear! <laughs> you know, last week I experienced a feedback exchange that was just fascinating from a research point of view, and just disastrous from, the, from every every angle. Where the person receiving feedback uh, was just it left the conversation not knowing what they were going to do. Why? Because the feedback was all focused on the person rather than their performance, rather than on facts, on things that the person could could do differently. The feedback was basically, oh, your energy's not right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> so I think I think to answer your question, let's let's make sure that we're focusing on the performance, on facts, rather than focusing on the person. You never give feedback on on the person because they can't change <laughs> anything about that. Um and 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 giving, and the other thing I would say is also when avo- avoid only giving feedback on what's not right, um, and and really uh, be intentional about appreciative feedback as well. Because, but but being specific with your appreciative feedback, being as intentional about how you craft that from the developmental perspective, especially as you would be if you were giving feedback on kind of regulating something. Um, and the other thing is giving feedback without any context, without any of the stuff that I talked about earlier. Um, but if we, if again, to answer the second part of your question, if we think about the the kind of the formula, if you like, I think the the main thing about this is to to uh, to be intentional about how you craft your feedback uh, message because it is important. And you've once you've clarified your intent, your objective, you 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 know that it's it's it. You know exactly why you're doing it. You've you you can unpack that context well, and you're mindful of the scarf drivers and how you know how to create psychological safety. Once you've done all of that, you still need to be intentional about the feedback conversation. And desk stands for um, description. The E stands for um, and and uh, and. Uh, Various, the, there are different ways of, of positioning this, and I'll explain in a minute. But um, by the way, the desk uh, script, if you like, uh, I didn't make this up, but I've used it. I've sort of simplified it a little bit and have used it um, across various organizations. And again, I really like it because it's simple and it works. So the D stands for describe or description. Um, and that's about describing really the behaviors um, and the situation as completely and as objectively as possible. And that's about really describing the facts. And this is very important. You should always start with facts rather than how you feel or rather than your perception. Mm. So when you're when you're starting the conversation, it, it is important to start with facts. For example, Dan, I've noticed <laughs> you've been, you know, consistently um, late. The first meeting you were late, um, half an hour late, the second meeting you were late for, you know, I don't know, 45 minutes. And, you know, this is a fact. You can't argue with that. Can you, Dan? Can you? (laughs) No. No, no. Finally, someone is slamming Dan on his timekeeping. This is amazing. I live in, I live in Italy now, you know, this is how we roll. I know, I know. Let's let's keep going. So you start with the facts, Dan. Um, I'm triggered here. You're tr- I'm triggered. You're triggered. I know. But but you know what? <laughs> you are a valuable member of this team. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh! I'm untriggered. I am untriggered. 
Okay, so D stands for describe, E stands for express. And and that's about expressing your kind of your thoughts, your the the elaborating, if you like, on the impact of the facts that you've just described first. Yeah. So that's where you can go, you know, um, you know, this is this is the impact of of you being consistently late, done. <laughs> you you can elaborate a little bit on on the impact of that. Um that's the E. The S um stands for um solutions or being very specific with your solutions. So um and that's this is a conversation, by the way. This is not a, a script to a monologue where you come in and you just sit with someone and you boom, 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 boom. It should be a conversation. You should be asking some questions as well. You know, let's can can we can we think of uh, of solutions? I'm sure there's a reason for you being late uh, every single time to every single meeting. So that's about crafting and co-creating solutions to this. And the C is about the contracting, the shared commitment. Imagine that it's like shaking the hand at the end of the conversation and we go, right, so this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to move the meetings to half an hour later. You're going to rock up on time. We're all going to be happy. Great. It's not that simple, obviously, but the, but the idea with this model is just to to help people be intentional. And what I find is that when uh, leaders or you know when anyone that needs to give feedback in their organization, when people stop to think about how they're going to connect with their audience, if you like, and how they're going to communicate that message. Why, more importantly, why they they're going to communicate that message when when people stop to think about about that, um, this can be a, an impo- a, a useful little kind of framework for you to prep your feedback conversation. That's a really great answer. And I, I want to jump on something that you've been talking about a lot, and that's talking about intentionality. And probably, even though most people who are listening, probably they hear you speak and they think, oh, that's a lovely English accent. You are actually a Portuguese powerhouse <laughs> from Portugal. And you talk so much, you're talking, they're, they're so heavily linked, communication and, of, you know, the communication aspect of, of feedback. And I just want to jump on that a little bit. What probably not many people will know is that you started your career in journalism and communications. And if you look hard enough, you might even find Anna presenting the news on some Portuguese channel. <laughs> but we won't go into that. Feedback often, like you say, when, when maybe some of the drivers are triggered, communication goes out the window and it's aggressive it's it's aggressive or it's passive aggressive people shut down yeah how do you as a leader and we'll look at this from a leadership perspective how do i how do i ensure that my communication actually gets across to you because typical for me for many years a lot of leaders i've had they've just kind of vomited out a bunch of stuff and they feel better and they're like i've communicated and i'm sitting there going I don't understand a word of what you said. That was terrible. Yeah. But how do you communicate and in a way that is it's received and there is a form of engagement back to ensure that the communication is super well thought through to deliver feedback? It's a leadership responsibility to minimize the gap between your intention and your impact. Um, it's it's in that space between intention and impact. That's your responsibility to take charge of that, um, and that is about. And that's what I mean by being very intentional. Um, and what happens mm. between intention and impact is the the leadership, the leaders. 
uh, kind of skill to um, to communicate in a way that that will be effective um, because we all want to have the best impact um, and and that's the thing most people and what I find I mean I, I've worked with oh goodness probably hundreds if not more um, leaders around the world and the vast majority of the people the vast the vast majority of my clients actually have great intentions but their impact is not always great so how do you minimize that gap um, you do that by doing a couple of things. First of all, reflective practice is really important. I think um, the ability to reflect and to self-reflect is absolute. It should be a core leadership skill. It should be taught in mm. every single MBA and every single exec ed uh, course. It should be, I mean, it should be uh, driven in organizations and it should be a competency that should be measured and because it's it's essential without self-reflection there's no awareness without awareness self-awareness there's you know there's mismatch between intention and impact mm. reflective practice is really key um taking time to think about what your intention is and how you then communicate think taking time to reflect on when when you have failed which is okay by the way because we're all learning but taking time to reflect on that. Um, and there's a, a simple reflective model that I use with my clients and I've used for a long time. Again, very simple and it works. Just ask yourself three simple questions. What, so what, and now what? <laughs> That's it, very simple. Something happened, you messed up or you think you messed up or whatever happened and you want to use this very simple model to as a, a reflective framework for you. So what really happened here? Let's unpack this. What did I see? What did I feel? What did I observe? What 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 are the facts? And then so what? What how did that impact me? How did it impact my team? How did it, you know, what was the what did I learn that I what what surprised me? You know, those sorts of things. And now what? How will I be different after this? How will my team be different? What will I do differently the next time? So again, self-reflection is really, really key. Um, and the other thing that I would say is is then, um, so self-reflection, because it's about self-awareness. And the other thing is awareness of others. So again, it's, it's a leader's responsibility to connect with people around them to, and not just your teams and, um, and your immediate ecosystem but you know to connect and understand your stakeholders and your your customers ultimately that's that's our responsibility um and if right. we're not channeling our focus onto that uh, onto understanding where people are where they are um so that we can meet them where they are if we're not channeling our focus and our attention onto um you know what what current perceptions do they have of of me of my topic the thing that we're discussing or working on you know if you're not making an effort to really connect with that with what's happening outside of you uh then again it's it's likely that you'll 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 get it wrong so again all of this is about minimizing the gap between your great intentions and the impact that you're actually having that's great i, I think um for people listening to this podcast including myself probably you should go go rewind get the notepad and a pen and write some of these things down because we're dropping gold here thank you anna i i wanted to we're going to let you go shortly but we have a few things and 
I want to jump into what I'm calling the conflict corner for a minute, just to add some spicy, spicy questions here. And everything that you've said leading up to this should actually pave the way for some nice, clear answers. But you talked about self-reflection. Um, as a leader, let's say hypothetically, um, a lot of the people that listen to this, they are leaders, either of themselves or, or other or other people in their teams, and they're looking to um, adjust and adapt some things. But what would be um, some unhealthy habits to look out for if you're leading an organization, creative, culturally, otherwise? What would be some of the unhealthy habits to to look out for, whether it's in yourself or, or in your team? And um, before we go ahead and apply um, that what, so what, and now what, but um, I guess the what, let's talk about the what. So um, some unhealthy habits to look out for. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can rattle them off bullet points if you want, but... Um, I think the first, the first one is... Um, People get very um, stuck in uh, something that I talked about very briefly earlier at the start of the conversation, the negativity bias. Um, it's almost like you're, because it's it's our default positioning, if you like. Um, and again, this is just how we're wired. Um, like I said earlier, we just naturally, your brain processes uh, negative um, stimuli around you with with a lot more intensity than, than positive uh, stimuli. It also means that if you are not intentional about shifting from that kind of default positioning, uh, it's very easy to stay stuck there. And when, especially in leadership, and especially when it comes to um, to uh, creating strategy and vision for your organization and moving your business forward, and especially when it comes to creativity, you really, really have to be intentional about shifting your focus because what you focus on grows literally in your brain and in organizations. So what you be intentional about what you focus on, I guess, is what I'm saying. What would you say to... Um a young creative or a young uh, someone who per perhaps isn't in a leadership position but has leadership aspirations and maybe looks at things from a leadership perspective, what would you say to them who are dreamers? They are solution focused. They are about positive change. They're kind of they're more positive geared than the negative geared, like the negative bias you talked about. And perhaps they're working for a leader or a boss that is that kind of. Um, problem focused. All they see is problems, and you have a clash there between uh, between the positive and the negative, the the problem solver and the person who's just focused on the problem. What would you say to that person if they were in a startup, if they were starting on a new team, if they were a junior or a mid level non for profit? What would you say to that person? Two things. First of all, don't give up. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and the second thing, find the smallest viable breakthrough <laughs> that you can and invest in that to pilot something, basically. Don't think about, you know, trying to reorganize the company <laughs> or the structures or whatever. Don't, don't just think about the smallest change. What is the smallest thing that you could do um, where you could bring creativity? Um, think about that. Identify the smallest viable breakthrough a tiny little project for you to apply your creativity and your solutions focused approach, yeah? Um, and use that to build momentum and to build confidence for creating creative competency, individual and for your team. 
Um, because I think it's not about preaching the solutions focused in positive mindsets. That's not going to get you anywhere. It's about identifying the smallest viable breakthrough, the lowest hanging fruit, uh, do some experiments, uh, pilot some stuff, get really creative with small things, find small problems that you can, you know, that you can generate solutions for with that solutions focused mindset and then and then show it around. <laughs> and that's how you change things. Anna, this has been amazing just talking to you about so many different things. I know we've only scratched the surface and I think we could probably do a million episodes with you and, and maybe we might try uh, do some more stuff in the future if that's if that's possible. But there's some things you've talked about that you know you, that are essential that you really can't get away from, and that you know you're talking about trust and 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 relationship and how important they are about understanding how humans work and leaders can't just treat everyone the same. They need to be intentional with their messaging and their communication and how they deliver it. And um, obviously, some of the great stuff you talked about with the desk model and how to deliver uh, feedback is is so good. But we want to say thank you so much for jumping on the line, taking time out in your crazy busy schedule. You're, even though it's locked down and whatever else, you're still consulting companies and governments all around the world. So we thank you so much for giving uh, us two little uh, dirtbag rogue minds of some of your time. And um, we look forward to chatting again to you soon. So thank you very much, Anna Loback. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Well, this has been a fantastic time chatting with Anna, Dan, we like to throw out a challenge to our listeners every time. What is a great challenge for our listeners that they can take away from today's uh, today's episode? Well, I mean, other than listening to that podcast two or three more times, I think there's so many gold nuggets in there. There's so much wisdom from Anna. So thank you, Anna, for your amazing insight into your intellect and your esteemed career. You're obviously building something great there. Um, but some of the things that jumped out for me and maybe <laughs> – Ironically, the lowest hanging fruit in choosing um, a challenge is lowest hanging fruit. So I liked how Anna put it. Um, what is the smallest viable breakthrough that you can focus on? So my challenge or my encouragement for you this week, if you are having a tough time, whether that's with um, tough leadership or or difficult colleagues or, or difficult um, scenario, what is the smallest viable breakthrough that you can focus on? What's a small thing that you can apply your creative thinking or your, your focused approach on to gain a bit of momentum? Because we know when we win a few small goals like this, the bigger things will follow. Um, and so will the recognition eventually too. People come to know you for your consistency and for your solutions-based approach. So um, other than listening to that uh, podcast again, which I highly recommend and I know I'm certainly going to do, what will you, your breakthrough be this week or this month or this life? It's been a fantastic episode, Dan. It's been great chatting with you. And of course, fantastic chatting with Anna Loback. We're going to be back soon with another episode. So we will see you guys again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.